All right, if you would, open your Bible to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We are continuing um, our slow but steady journey through, through the book of Daniel. We talked the first week about what it means to live in exile, to live outside of the promised land, and how that's still true in the New Testament as we think about living as believers today. So we think about that. Living in Babylon, living in a world that is is opposed to the, the things of the Lord. And then last week, we talked about God's faithfulness to us. This week is our response back to the Lord. What does it look like for us to be faithful to him? He's faithful to us. How do we be faithful to him? Tonight, quick heads up, tonight, 5 o'clock, we're going to gather back here for hymns, uh, for studying God's word. We also have our spring business meeting. If you're a part of Emmaus, I hope you'll be a part of that at 5 o'clock tonight as we think about where God has us, where we're going in the future. We want you to know about that. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Right now, though, we want to focus in on Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 7 together right now. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. May God bless the reading of his word. So yesterday, here at Emmaus, we had a memorial service for a gentleman who is in the Oklahoma ba- uh, Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh, Coach Dub Raper, who many of you know and love and been such a great friend to so many of us. We had his memorial service yesterday, and this place was full of coaches <laughs> yesterday. And a lot of basketball stories, a lot of coaching stories yesterday. And it reminded me of something I've always known to be true, but yesterday was a really stark reminder. Coaches make an incredible impact in a kid's life. It is unbelievable the role that a coach and a teacher um, extracurricular director, whatever kind. But you think about coaches and the impact that they have in a kid's life. And one thing I love about what we saw yesterday at the memorial service, and frankly what I love about Emmaus, is a church that is committed to investing in the next generations. That we say, God, we want to be about seeing the gospel go to these kids. We want to see these kids and teenagers know how good Jesus is and what it is to be raised up in a church that values that And one of the ways that we can value the next generation is by honoring well the older generations. It's not an either or. It's in a healthy church. We need both. A healthy church is investing in the next generations, and a healthy church is saying we need to look like, we need to see what it looks like to follow Jesus for a long time. And so when we think about this text this morning in Scripture, 
we have a group of teenagers who have been taken to another land, not their own, and they're being shaped by all these influences that have nothing to do with the God of the Bible. And the question is, how are they going to respond? What's going to happen when they get there? Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel 1, verse 8 says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. If you like to underline in your Bible or circle words or highlight, the key word there is resolved. Or sometimes it comes across in certain translations as determined. This is that idea that if you could ever take your kid's stubbornness and use it for positive purposes, this is where that comes in handy. Uh, Daniel and his friends get to another culture and they resolve They are determined that they will continue to follow the way of the Lord, that God has acted and been faithful in their lives, and they are going to respond with faithfulness to him. Now, why is this so important? Why did they need to make this resolution? Why did they need their stubbornness? It's because they'd been sent to what we're going to call King Neb University. They had been sent to what we're going to call King Neb University. Now, I pick up that phrase from... Heath Thomas, who is the president at, at Oklahoma Baptist University, but here's this group of teenagers who have been sent into another culture, and when they get there, they're given new names. Look what it says there, that Daniel is called Belteshazzar, Hananiah is called Shadrach, Mishael is called Meshach, Azariah is called Abednego. There's a lot of controversy about what those names mean exactly, but what I would want to point out to you is the ending of each name. If you look on the left, those names, El, Ah, El, Ah, those reflect Hebrew words of the one true God, of Elohim or Yahweh. So their names, when they are sent out, their identity is based around Yahweh. It's based around Elohim. It's based around this one true God. When you see their new name, Ar, Ak, Ak, Nego, those are Babylonian gods. When they get into exile, They're not just giving random new names. They are giving names, identities that have to do with these false gods, these gods that they've never encountered before. And guess what? (laughs) When you go into King Neb University, when you go into a new stage in life, you go into a world that is not committed to the way of the Lord, your identity is tested. Talk about that question, who am I? You know that, who am I, my identity question, that's hard when you're in middle school. That's hard when you're in high school. It's hard when you're in college. That's hard when you're 75 years old trying to figure out what is my identity based on? Is it based on my family that I came from? Is it based on my sexuality? Is it based on what people say about me on my phone? Is my identity based on my job and my success? We find identity in all these places. And when these kids go to Keene Neb University, their identity is put to the test. And they're given these new names in order to take them in a new direction to say, that doesn't need to be your identity. That God doesn't need to take your attention. Go this other direction. They not only get new names, they get a new education. <laughs> they, they get an, exposed to what we're going to call just a new culture. When they go there to Babylon, their worldview, how they see things around them is, is put to the test. Up to this point, they've been raised in the Hebrew scriptures. They go to Babylon and they're learning all kinds of new information. Uh, But education is not just about the information that goes in your mind. For most of history, when people thought about education, they thought about character formation. 
And we know, when we think about education, it's not just about preparing for a career or learning information. It's about how you're being shaped. And every single day of our lives, we are being shaped in some particular way. And when you find yourself not living in mom and dad's house anymore, and when you find yourself going to Keene Neb University, and you find yourself exposed to a new location, you have to think, how is my life being shaped? What factors are conforming me to a particular pattern here? They have this new education. They also have new authorities. Mom and dad aren't in charge anymore. Grandpa and grandma aren't around anymore. There's new authorities, new roles they're given, new things that they've been told to do. How are they going to respond to these authorities? And we know when you go to college, <laughs> when you go into new locations, you're introduced to new food, new drink, new inputs, new ways of thinking, new things that are coming into your life all the time. And these are constantly shaping us. When the future is uncertain, when you find yourself going to Keene Neb University, and let's just be honest, most of you thought you were finished with school, you live in Keene Neb University every single day of your life. We are constantly being shaped by forces that are opposed to the things of God. And the question is, how are we going to respond to this? So what I wanna give you this morning is if a high school senior came up to me and said, how do I prepare for the future? How do I know how to live in an uncertain future? How do I live when I'm going off to Keene Neb University? Like, what, what would I say? These three things are what come from this text. Number one, confidence in God and the gospel. Confidence in God and the gospel. To be able to answer that question, I know my core identity. I know where my hope is found. When you're living into an uncertain future and you have all these forces coming into your life, at the end of the day, you can say, yeah, all that's coming, but I know where my hope is found. My identity is found in Christ. I have confidence in him. Daniel and his friends had this, but the question is, where did they get it? <laughs> where, where did it come from? Well, they had good preparation from childhood. They had a strong foundation that had been established in their lives of the scriptures, of people who cared for them, of people who pointed them in the right direction. So when they got to Babylon, this was not the first time they had to think about what's the foundation for my life? What is my identity? My mom had a sign that hung in our home when I was growing up, and it said, home is where your story begins. Home is where your story begins. My parents were so good at making home a place uh, of peace and a place where we were able to learn about the Lord, but it was never thought that we were supposed to stay there. <laughs> we were always going to be sent out. We were always going to be sent to do what God had called us to do, but home is where that story was going to begin. And we need that preparation that comes from knowing the scriptures, that knowing we're loved, knowing our hope is found in Christ. And when you go into an uncertain future, it's good to have the right people around you, to have friends and to have a church, and to have a community that's going to continue to point you to Jesus. When Daniel and his friends get there to Babylon, what they do have is each other. They have this group that says, we're going to stick together, and we're going to remain faithful to the Lord. When you go to college, when you start a new job, when you go into retirement, you need people around you who are going to say, we're going to stick together and we are going to follow Jesus. That support network that's found in a group of friends. So let me ask you a question. Who encourages you to stay faithful to Jesus? Who do you have in your life that is encouraging you to stay faithful to the Lord when you're outside of the church building, when you're outside of familiar places? 
There was a study done several years ago that found the number one factor that would determine whether or not a kid stayed connected to their faith and connected to church after high school was whether or not they had an adult, not their parent, who stayed spiritually involved in their life. The number one factor of whether or not a kid would stay connected to church and connected to faith after high school is if they had somebody other than their parents, because frankly, sometimes you just, you know, you need somebody else speaking into your life other than your parents, somebody other than a parent, an adult, who stayed spiritually connected to that person through a text message or a monthly phone call or just checking in. You need people around you who provide that support, who say, stay focused, keep your confidence in God and the gospel. And then just frankly remembering that wherever I go, whatever the future holds, God is at work there. God is with me, and he will not forsake me. I know I have God's presence. So number one, you go into an uncertain future, you, what, do, what do I think about tomorrow? My confidence is in God and the gospel. Number two is a commitment to holiness. Look back at verse eight there. It says in verse eight that Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food. That word defile there has to do with this idea of holiness, this idea of what Daniel and his friends ate reflected where their faith was found. Um, here's the interesting thing about Daniel and his friends that you might miss in the book of Daniel. They are teenagers when they go off to Babylon, so that age factor definitely plays a part in it. But also think about how Daniel and his friends, they're immigrants. They're foreigners in another country. And for a group of immigrants going to another country, one of the things that keeps them bonded to their homeland is their food. You think about somebody that is forced to leave their homeland and go somewhere else. If they can just hold on to their food, it's a way of holding on to that identity. Uh, when Amanda and I lived in New Orleans at the seminary down there, we were surrounded by people from, from many, many different cultures. And one of the uh, apartments, dorm-style places that we lived in, even as a married couple, all the air ducts essentially connected to everybody else's room. And so, you know, all the smells of what you cooked spread throughout all the building. And it was like in your apartment, out of nowhere, a smell from another country would come flowing right into your apartment. This idea that people who had come to school there from another country wanted to stay connected to their food. It was part of identity. It started being faithful to where they came from. Here you see Daniel and his friends doing something very similar. Look in verse 11. Verse 11, they want to remain faithful to the Lord. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned, he said in verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Now, if that sounds familiar, you might think, oh yeah, I've tried that diet where I ate nothing but vegetables and drank nothing but water and I was fatter when the diet was over. Like, how, how does that even happen here? Uh, the word fat there has a connection with the idea of prosperity in other places in Scripture. It also may just be a sign of God's miraculous work, that here they've eaten this food that's supposed to be good for them, the, the vegetables and the water that God provides, and he's responded by giving them great health in this situation. When you think about this idea of holiness in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As you're preparing for the future, whether you're a high school graduate or you're preparing for retirement or you're just going through changes in your own life, a commitment to holiness is so important. What I put into my body, how I treat my body, how I approach sexuality, how I approach authority figures, what gods am I serving? The reason holiness matters is because when we are seeking the Lord, when he is doing this holy work in our lives, our ears will be open and our hearts will be open to hearing the word of God, being guided by the spirit of God, being connected with the church. Holiness prepares us to hear and understand God's direction and wisdom for our life. The opposite of that is when we're living in sin and saying, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. The word of God feels very boring. Church feels very meaningless. And we often pile unwise decision upon unwise decision and we're unable to be in a position to know God's direction for the future. Confidence in God, a commitment to holiness, and then number three, complete faithfulness to what's right in front of you. When Daniel and his friends get there, they're given all this new learning, and they end up using this learning in the king's uh, court there. You find in verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. There's this famous verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, where it says, in exile, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. The best way to prepare for what's coming tomorrow is to pursue holiness today and to be completely faithful to what God has put in front of you. You're trying to figure out what's gonna happen in college, what's gonna happen with my job, what's gonna happen with retirement, God, what are you doing in my family? The most important thing you can do is be completely faithful to what God has put in front of you right now. Because the more we're faithful with those things, the more God will direct us in the future. Graduates, this means that disastrous disease called senioritis, that is like one of the worst diseases <laughs> known to, to mankind. Uh, the more faithful you are in these final days of finishing high school, the more you will be prepared for what God has for you next. Adults, if you're getting to the end of a season of life or you're getting to a place where your job is wrapping up or, or you're going through a time where you don't have a job, the more faithful you are with what God has put right in front of you, the more he will prepare you for what is coming next. How? Because it keeps us focused on Jesus. It reminds us of what we're living for. It reminds us where our hope is. How do you prepare for the future? I have a great confidence in God. I'm committed to holiness and I'm gonna be completely faithful to whatever God has given me right now. How does our church prepare for the future? Well, we're not backing down from the gospel. That's where our hope is found as a church. We are going to be committed to holiness and the word of God, and we are going to be completely faithful to what God has put in front of us right now. Uh, Jim and I were just talking the, uh, this last week, in fact, about all these opportunities that God has put in front of us and all these things that we're thinking about for the future. 
The best way we can pray, prepare for any of that is, God, let us be faithful today. Let us do what you called us to do right now, knowing you are in control of all that's to come. So as we wrap up today, I was trying to think, how do we wrap up a, a story like this, a, an idea like this? When you think about Daniel and his friends going there to Babylon, and they're offered the king's food, all this great food that's supposed to provide everything they would ever want and, and be wonderful, and they reject that, and they trust just in what the Lord has provided with these vegetables and this water. It made me think about the Lord's Supper. All the things that are put before us in the world, just eat this, just take this, and you'll find life. This is all you've been looking for. But when we turn to Jesus, and we find that he's provided his body and his blood, and we find, no, no, if I take that, that is where true life is found. That's where I find my identity. That's where I find my hope. Not in the king's food, but in the king of kings, who has provided his life for us, that I would trust in him. And so today, as we wrap up our service, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. A chance for families to do this with graduates, but a chance for all of us as a church to come together and say, God, thank you for everything you provided. I want to be faithful to you. As we get ready to do this, as I pray, we have people that are going to go to these various tables. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trust in Jesus for salvation, I want you to go to these tables after I pray. Take the elements. Go back to your seat. And just wait. And we'll take together. If you're here this morning and you're not trusted in Jesus for salvation, would you consider what the identity of your life is all about? What, what is my future? Where am I looking for life and everything that is to come? And that this morning, maybe for the first time that you would trust in Jesus, you would see who he is and what he has done for you. Let me pray for us right now as we prepare. Father, we pray right now, recognizing we live in a world where often the future seems very uncertain, um, whether that's our family or jobs or just changing seasons of life. And God, we also live in a world where it's so easy to be conformed to the pattern of this world. But God, we pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we would know what your will is. God, that our confidence would be in the gospel, what we're about to celebrate through the Lord's Supper. God, that we would be committed, completely surrendered to you, to live holy lives, completely dedicated to you because of your work in us. And God, we would be faithful to what you put right in front of us. There's a lot of uncertainty about tomorrow, next week, next year. What you've called us to is to be faithful to you right now, to look to Jesus and so, Father, we seek to do that together right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.